Hello and welcome back everyone. This is Sergeant First Class Aaron McEvers, 2nd Brigade EOA, and I'm bringing another episode of the Strike Brigade Leader Podcast to you all. And joining me today is Strike Six himself, Colonel Wagner. Would you like to say hello to everybody? Hey, Sergeant McEvers. Hey, everybody. All right, so I've got Colonel Wagner in the office, and we're going to talk some things. Uh, We're going to talk about People First, Operation Ironclad, and we're going to get some of his thoughts on our way forward, how we treat our personnel with the maximum of dignity and respect while still building lethal and cohesive teams. And I'm going to start right off the rip, sir, and I just want to ask you if you can put into your own words what putting People First – uh, at Operation Ironclad, what do they mean to you? Well, first, thanks for doing these podcasts, uh, Sean McEvers. I think uh, it's incredibly important that we tackle some of these topics, and they're not easy conversations to have because uh, there's pretty strong opinions on, on all sides of them. But that's the key part is just us, our ability to talk. Uh, so for, for me personally, Operation Ironclad and Iron Ready – People first, winning matters. Those those ideas go hand in hand, and and uh, and honestly, it's nothing new to us. It's just really what good leadership has been about for as long as I've been in the army and way before me. And actually, I, I knew we were going to sit down and talk today, and so I uh, I was reading something this morning. And it had a quote from uh, uh, General William Dupuy, uh, who was the uh, World War II vet and Vietnam vet, and then I ended up being the first commander of Training and Doctrine Command when it stood up and was one of the architects of kind of the post-Vietnam army that, that, uh, that we have right now. And so he, he has a quote here that I found. It says, uh, nice, warm human relationships are satisfying and fun, but they are not the purpose of an army. Establishing the most marvelous, friendly, warm, sympathetic, and informed relationships is unimportant except in the context of making the team work better. In that context, it is all important. And uh, it just highlights that this is not a new idea, that in order for our teams to be good, you have to, to, to be able to come together and work together as a team, and you have to have those relationships rooted in dignity, respect, and trust to do that. And so for me personally, my command philosophy and the, and the vision for our teams that I've been a part of has been the same for me since I was a company commander through battalion command and now. And so for us, I talk about disciplined teams of warriors pursuing excellence for the next fight. And that kind of breaks out into three pieces. So the first part is the most important part and kind of what your question gets at is the disciplined teams. Um, General Bernabe and Ironclad talks about cohesive teams Mm -hmm. and it's all, that's the same, right? So, we put teams together for one purpose. And I, you know, when I ask young soldiers, I usually get a lot of blank stares and everybody once in a while, somebody will come up and say, and figure out like, well, what's the purpose, yeah. you know? And they'll say, right. oh, to win. You know, somebody will get it and that's it, right? Basketball team, soccer team, football team, you know, they're, they're designed to, to win. And nobody, nobody puts together one of those teams and says, hey, let's go, let's go lose games. Let's be mediocre. Go team, yeah. you know, yeah. like, right. that's great. So, you know, and the Army's the same way, and, and we're playing the most high-stakes game. In fact, it's, you know, maybe a stretch to even call it a game because it's not. It's, it's right. deadly serious, and, and the consequences are life and death uh, and, and domination. So we have no choice but to win because a silver medal is bad for us. So in order to do that, we have to do what all good teams do and work together 
every one of us trying to be as good as we can be and pursue excellence. Uh, and then, and we rely on each other. And so that idea is super powerful to me. And that's why Ironclad, Iron Ready, People First, Way Matters come together, just in the way that it comes together on your, on your high school basketball team. Our team just happens to be a little bigger. You know, for the brigade combat team, it's uh, a little over 4,300 people. Uh, for some of your battalions, it's six or 800 people. Um, so it's, it's a big team. But the, the concept's still the same. So for, if you take that idea of being a team and relying on each other, it has so many implications. So for a soldier to be part of a team and knowing that other people will rely on him or her, why would they do drugs when somebody else is counting on them? You know, would they want somebody else doing drugs and, and, and being uh, you know, strung out when they, when they needed to count on them? Um, why would you not try to be the very best mechanic, cook, shot that you could be? Do you want a Q2 or Q3 tank crew in the battle position next to you? Would you like a distinguished no. crew? I, I, I'm going to choose the distinguished crew. <laughs> yeah, you want somebody that can hit their targets and kill bad guys to cover you. Yes, sir. You know, just same thing for um, for uh, you know weapons qualification. You want a, you want an uh, expert or you want a marksman? Yeah, I know what I want. Right. I don't want a shitty mechanic working on my uh, on my on my car either. Yeah, exactly right. It, it, I, I want to go back because you, you mentioned it twice and it, it kind of spurred the thought in my head. Reliance. Relying on each other. And I think as leaders, I, I don't know if we're doing, if we're describing that and capturing that adequately for our soldiers when we're having these come together and sit downs and, and uh, we're doing foundational readiness training. I think as a society, I think we've kind of, and I'm paraphrasing uh, Simon Sinek here a little bit, and he, he s- said the same things. We, as Americans, we tend to over-index on rugged individualism, like it, me, 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 me. Uh, and perhaps we don't acknowledge how much our success in the military is reliant on, on each other. And absolutely, even, even individual accolades such as graduating Ranger School or, or qualifying, you know, uh, top tank, that's, you may graduate as an individual, but you succeeded as a team. Yeah. Okay, and same thing, same thing with the tank crew. Uh, you know, you may have that best gunner pulling triggers down there, the top, the top shot. But if there's any deviation in performance in any of the other crew positions, the entire crew suffers. And I think uh, we probably need to do a little bit better capturing that and putting it down. Let me pull that even farther. It's not just the tank crew. Mm-hmm. What about all the maintainers that, that support that tank crew and, yeah. and all the other pieces of the, of the team that come together? And so... I think that's a great point, and it's 100% true. Because if all we do are, you know, uh, foundational day training days, mm-hmm. and, you know, we talk about our, our uh, experiences, and we do some of those things, they're important in as much as they build trust, they build understanding, and they build that culture of dignity and respect. And hopefully they spur some conversations on an OP at night or on a guard post or whatever between a couple soldiers that say, hey, what was it like when you were growing up? And they can talk about and share some understandings, uh, some, some of those, um, those experiences to generate that understanding. Um, I, I think what you mentioned is that it's very important to understand 
if you're a leader and you want to understand the soldiers you're leading, I think you have to have a degree of insight to how that person was raised, how that person was socialized, because that contributes a great deal into the soldier that's on your team. I know we all come together around our shared values, our, our warrior ethos, our ethics, but I, I think that's absolutely crucial. And perhaps the leaders that do that more frequently are likely to have probably more cohesive teams. Because if Lieutenant Wagner is asking, you know, uh, PFC McEvers when we're when we're out on patrol or we have some spare time, I'm going to think, okay, my trust in you is going to go up because I'm going to feel like you have a genuine sense of concern about my welfare and you want to see me successful because why else would you ask me what it was like, you know, growing up in the middle of Illinois? It was like, there's no other purpose unless, uh, unless I felt like you were trying to enhance cohesion and, and develop some trust. Well, think about the times when your leaders, you know, remembered your birthday or remembered your kids' names or, you know, came up to you when they didn't have to because they were busy, but they still took time and, and stopped and had a conversation. Like those times for me are things that I, I still remember some of those conversations, you know, and, and they made an impact. And so they'll make an impact on our soldiers when our leaders do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one way to develop trust. Is there any other thing... It, you could any other advice you could give leaders because cohesion and trust I think are inextricably linked in our teams and high and teams with high cohesiveness I feel like probably have fewer incidents of the harmful behaviors so what other guidance would you give to the leaders in the brigade to possibly just day-to-day actions they can take to develop cohesion and trust in their teams, yeah. cohesion uh, or great, trust? That's a great question, and it's kind of the second part of the disciplined teams that I mm-hmm. usually talk about when, when I'm talking to formations. You know, for our, our teams, the biggest thing you can do, whether you're a leader or a soldier, is own your environment. How do you exhibit that ownership and, and, and own the culture and the climate in your team? What do you tolerate? What's okay? What's acceptable? And so if you set that standard every day of what's okay to be, to, to be said and to be done, you'll, you'll own that space and take away um, what I call a maneuver room for bad actors. And you tell a signal to all the members of your team that, hey, this is a place where you can thrive, where we can capitalize on all the experiences that, that you talked about earlier, Sarah McEvers, that people bring to the team. If they know that they're valued and they know that people count on them, they're going to step forward and be empowered and, and, and perform better. And it just builds more, uh, you know, a better and more capable team overall. I, I would agree with that 100%. And I think what you're looking at, if you do what you're describing, it makes me as a subordinate, I want to commit to you and the organization and the mission as opposed to comply. And and I think that in in terms of outcomes, I think we there that's a spectrum, you know, from from probably pretty poor to that 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 excellent, you know, all the way to the right where we're committed. And I think you you really captured that very well. You know, to your point, you know, there are stories throughout our army of a, a sergeant with a bazooka killing a German tank and stopping up a whole German division mm-hmm. going to the Ardennes. 
and you listen to Medal of Honor winners and read about their stories, and none of them say, I, I did this to be a hero. They say it that they did it, just saw something needed to be done, and they needed to do it for their buddies. Yeah. I think that's that's something else that's also underrepped is, uh, yeah, we, we don't, the, the most efficient teams don't do things because of their hatred for the enemy so much as the, the greatest acts of courage that we've seen generally come about because of the love or the, the, the cohesion and the trust within the team and the fear of allowing harm to befall our comrades. And I think that's where we're our most inspired uh, and we're our best version of ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's what, as leaders, we absolutely need to drive to get there. Yeah. But I think the other, so, you know, I'm going back to that vision statement, discipline teams, mm-hmm. warriors, pursuing excellence for the next mission, for the next fight. You can't forget the warriors part. And, and that's where when people ask, hey, you know, I thought we were an army and we're supposed to fight our nation's wars. Mm-hmm. Like, why are we doing all this touchy-feely stuff? We do the, we do the touchy-feely stuff so we can win. Yeah, because if if all we if all we do is sit around the campfire and sing songs and tell stories, we might as well be at summer camp. Like, we are a fighting formation, and so it's it's for a purpose. And the the unique experiences of all the individuals that come together as part of this team are what gives us the strength and gives us the capability to win on the battlefield. And so I think that's that's super important that we focus on that warrior uh, ethos that you talked about earlier. And then the other thing that I'd offer to, to leaders in our formation especially is when I t- that last part about winning the next fight. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we focus in the leadership requirements model on gets results in the short term right? rather than think about gets results for our army, for our team in the long run. And so sometimes that means taking, making some sacrifices in the short term and maybe Sergeant Wagner needs to go to class or go, right, go to, to ALC and miss a training event. You know, but that's the cost of, of building a better Sergeant Wagner for the future of our Army and for the benefit of the soldiers that he or she is going to lead down the road. Yeah. Um, what you, and I think what you're kind of addressing here is some of, some of the criticisms that... I have heard from from my foxhole, from my vantage point, of our initiatives to start putting people first, getting to know the soldiers that we lead, and Operation Ironclad, as they do, they feel like it's counterproductive because it's pulling us away, it's taking time away from lethality, uh, from being from readiness, and I've seen that in in survey comments and after action, you know. The, the half a day a month that uh, we we donate to, or not do, donate's probably the, the allocate is invest. the better, invest in uh, putting people first is compromising lethality. My initial pushback on that is, well, you're not very you're not managing your time very well <laughs> if if half a day once a month is is compromising our ability to be a lethal force. But what what criticism or what uh, what, how would you respond to somebody who says, we don't need to do this, we just need to focus on fighting and winning our nation's wars? I, you know, I go back to what I said earlier. The two mm-hmm. are inextricably linked. You know, we win as a team. Right. 
uh, we spend some time building the team, it'll pay off in the long run. And so just in the same way that if you're too busy to train and certify leaders before you go, to go do a training event, the training event's probably gonna suck, right? So if you don't make the upfront investment, it won't pay that long-term dividend that you, that you need. So there's a little bit of cost upfront. Establishing a system and a process to do something rather than running around hair on fire every day. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an investment up front to set that system in place. And so some of the stuff I talk about with our leaders, our company commanders and our majors, is about how do you set system and processes in place to do routine things routinely so that you as a company commander have the time to command. How do you organize yourself for combat to do the things that you and only you can do as a leader? Okay. So I want to ask a, a question that might, uh, and we kind of discussed this beforehand. We were talking about the egalitarian nature of the Army and how we kind of see ourselves as all wearing the same uniform. We, uh, we come together under our shared identity as soldiers and the fact that we have the flag on, on our uniform in the United States Army. And I think you and I both have, are, are similar in that we've shared a, a journey of growth in that we possess, and I think this plays into People First and Operation Ironclad, we possess a little bit of understanding that although we're, we all serve the United States Army, we all have pretty much a shared set of values, there are things that make us different. And I think you kind of, you kind of hit on it, and I'd like you to share what you were talking about, about how acknowledging what is different about us kind of does get us more towards those cohesive and trusting teams. Yeah, so f- for everybody, Sean McEvers that was uh, talking with me earlier and asked, uh, you know, if I could go back in time and, and uh, mentor a young lieutenant me, you know, what, what would I tell myself? And I think uh, there's two things that come to mind. Um, and 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 I'd be, to be honest, a lot of my leadership philosophy comes from my failures along the way. You know, do things only you can do was, you know, one time I found myself digging foxholes in the middle of the night and overnight um, instead of doing my sector sketches to fight my platoon. And uh, by the time I got around to doing that leader task for that defensive live fire, I was so tired and, and wet and cold at, at uh, five in the morning in Grafenvier, Germany at, in March that I didn't do a very good job in my life. So like some of that stuff's baked into what, what I try to tell people now is to help, help them learn from my mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on that direction you were headed, uh, one is over in my early career, especially I was, and, and I think a lot of us fall into this trap where you get so busy that it's all business all day, all the time. Because if it's taking you off task, it's going to mean that you're working all that much longer and you have so much to do, you can't afford it. So taking time to have a little empathy and talk to people and be human on a day-to-day basis uh, is something I don't know that I did very well, you know, especially as a major, you know, when I was cranking on lots of tasks. <laughs> um, but I've tried to focus on that here in the last few years uh, as a battalion commander and then now especially. And I think that gets to, to what you were talking about, you know, especially as a young infantry officer, I thought, um, hey, this is the greatest place uh, for diversity, this army that we're a part of, we're all green. Um, and, I, and I had that, that idea that um, we're very egalitarian. And I, and I don't think as I look back on it that I gave enough credit 
to the unique challenges that a lot of our, our, uh, our soldiers from varying backgrounds, minorities, women, um, you know, and, and the, the whole team, you know, rich, poor, city, uh, rural, you know, the challenges that we go through, but especially our minority uh, soldiers and officers and our, and our females, uh, I think that there are lots of components to identity and I don't, I don't think I gave enough understanding and credit to that uh, and how that as a leader we have to respect that and then harness those capabilities and talents um, and take that into account. Uh, so I guess I, uh, the, the lesson for young me would be, hey, be be more empathetic on both counts. Yeah, so I something that I use to visualize that is that we're all running a race, but sometimes there's there's there may be no hurdles in my lane, but people that come with different identity traits and dimensions of diversity, as as a society, society may there may be some hurdles, some societal hurdles in their lane that I can't see, you know, and then I wonder why they don't finish as fast or faster than me. And uh, I think we need to have a empathy is is probably empathy is the key to understanding. And I think once we, as leaders, demonstrate, like, I can't say that I know what you're going through, but I have an understanding that you're facing some unique challenges because of who you are. Together, we're soldiers. We share this common identity. But there may be other differences that, that I just didn't take for granted or I didn't take into account. Uh, I think that's your spot on, sir. And I think that's that, that right there is a huge key component of demonstrating that we're putting people first uh, and that we're treating everybody that, that serves with us with dignity and respect. I think, you know, it, I'm not saying you don't hold everybody to high standards. Oh, absolutely. That's not at all right. what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you have to understand and account for the human parts of mm-hmm. us. So just a generic example. In the army I started out in, and, and I don't know if you had any experiences like this, you know, it was not uncommon for people to miss the birth of a child to yeah. go to a, a CTC rotation at, right. at one of our combat training centers. Because that was more important than a once-in-a-lifetime of life event that's critical to your family. Mm-hmm. So what do you think that does to that person's commitment to the team? It, it, to, for me, it would completely neutralize it. So why can't we make a, a, a reasonable investment and accommodate you know, something that's important to them? What about the single parent that has a kid at home that maybe, you know, obviously they have to perform and they have to work, but every once in a while you need to make an accommodation to, to support them in a, in, the, in a tough time, right? And so th- there's lots of things like that that I think about, um, you know, as we try to understand and, and, and harness the capabilities that everybody brings to the table, that if we just take a minute and try to understand, it's easy to just punish somebody for being late to formation. But hey, why don't, why don't we understand why they're late to formation and figure out if they're having trouble sleeping because of an issue, or you know they're having financial problems, or they're having relationship issues. And, and so we start pulling apart that stuff, and then you get ahead of the, pro, the, the problems that could come as an investment in the future. Because now if you don't get ahead of it, then you're dealing with some sort of catastrophe. 
as a leader, especially, and as fellow soldiers, you don't want to be in that spot. You'd rather get ahead of the problem and, and understand and build that person into a productive team member. Because think about the time you spend shepherding somebody through a chapter process to kick them out of the army after they've done drugs. You know, that takes up leader's time. They have to escort them to all these things, right? So what if you just, what if they never did drugs in the first place? Because you brought them in and made them part of the team. Because they felt like, if you make them feel like they belong, and 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 I, I want to go back to what you were saying when you talked about maybe find out why. I, I think we don't do a, speaking too generally here, I think there are instances where there are leaders, and I've been guilty of this, and it's basically fundamental attribution error, you know, you're late because you're you're a bad soldier, <laughs> you know, or you weren't here exactly at the right time in the right uniform. Then sometimes we tend to attribute or project, well, that person is just a bad soldier instead of actually taking five minutes and having the conversation and maybe trying to determine some causality. And and same thing with drugs, or or any of the any of the behaviors that really almost automatically cost us a teammate. You know, and I think as leaders, we probably should start doing a better job of that, or could. So all this stuff ties together, and that's where, it kind of back to your original you know, discussion about what is ironclad mm-hmm. and people first mean. We're people business. I mean, that's just the bottom line. We're doing, doing important work on behalf of our nation to defend the, the values enshrined in our Constitution with great people. And if you can do important stuff that's meaningful with great people, those are pretty good criteria for satisfaction in a job and satisfaction in life, if you ask me. And honestly, that's why I'm still here. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So, so if I were to summarize what you're saying, the success of our Army could be directly attributed to the success of our relationships with with our teammates how strong they are you know how how cohesive of a team because the technology that we use to fight with it's largely already there it's already developed we're using it you know and there's yes there's there's varying degrees of success with maintaining it and employing it but i think we could maybe make better use of of those uh of the people wearing the uniform and, and possibly keep more people in the fight and enhance readiness um, sir, I think uh, we're, we're right about that time to wrap up. Do you have anything you'd like to part with? No, thanks again, Sergeant Covers, and thanks to everybody uh, for uh, listening. And I'd ask you to just go out and own your environments and, and make, uh, make your units better. Because the best unit in the Army is the one you're in, and if it's not, it's our job to make it that way. So let's do that together. All right, sir. Thanks for stopping by. All right. Thanks, Sergeant right. Covers. All right, Strike take care. Yes, sir.